I am delighted to be joined by Paralympic sprinter Orla Comerford. Orla is visually impaired and competes in the T13 classification. However, she is also a visual artist and recently graduated from NCAD. On this episode, we discuss her journey to date, the infants of her underage coach, the Paralympic Games, and a discussion about Irish society as a whole towards people with disabilities and the evolution of support since 2008. I hope you enjoy. Okay, delighted to have Orla Comerford uh, joining me today. Orla, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I have a very, um, b- very varied audience in terms of listeners. Um, who, if, if for those who don't know who you are, um, could you give a bit of an elevator pitch and what who you are and what you do? Yeah, so my name is Orla Comerford. I am an Irish T13 sprinter. So T13 refers to the category in the Paralympics that I compete in. And that means that I am visually impaired. So there are three categories for visually impaired runners. Um, T13, which is my category, which would be the sort of least visually impaired category. T12, which would be more serious. So people can opt to run with a guide or without. And then T11, which would be completely blind and guide running. So I am a Paralympic sprinter. I competed in the Rio and Tokyo Paralympics in the 100 meters. And I've competed in world championships and European championships. And I'm aiming for Paris next year. Brilliant. I've this has kind of been a little while in the works to get this done. I originally heard you speak at the I originally heard you speak at the Women in Sport, um, I think that's the title of the conference last year in December, Dublin. In, yeah, last December. So this has been this has I been know. a while coming. I didn't I didn't get a chance to say hello that day, but what really struck me was your story and how obviously um your journey has evolved, obviously with coaching and with your with your eyesight and with everything. But can you give us a bit of an intro starting out, you were a normal kid getting on doing all the sports take us through from that point to kind of where you are now yeah so I I was always a very sporty kid I was involved in, in lots in a range of different sports I, I joined athletics when I was about six or seven I, I joined Rohini Shamrocks my local club and I've been with them ever since and um, but I suppose a big shift came for me when I was around 11 or 12 I returned home from the school holidays into school in fifth class and I couldn't read the board anymore I couldn't read my my books so it, it all happened quite quite quickly I lost a good amount of vision quite quickly and you know over you know the coming weeks found out that I had something called Stargardt's which basically affects my central vision so my my central vision will be much poorer than my peripheral vision so oftentimes people don't realize that I'm visually impaired because I can get around quite independently which is you know I'm very lucky and privileged to be able to do but when it comes to anything sort of detail orientated that's where I would struggle a little bit um so I suppose realistically like there was going to be a shift for me in sport like I I wasn't going to be great at tennis or anything like that but I was lucky that I had coaches and parents who were incredibly supportive and sort of wanted to give me the opportunities to come to those realizations by myself instead of being told what I could and couldn't do and don't get me wrong there were plenty of people who said it and like you know plenty of whispers and I you know what I mean I, I was aware that that was going on but I was definitely quite a stubborn and competitive kid um, so I sort of wanted to give everything a go until I, I realized maybe it wasn't the right option for me. But ultimately, like athletics was always my favorite sport. So when it came to kind of overcoming any sort of challenges that popped up, it was one that I was I was more committed to working around. So, you know, I suppose like the obvious, you know, issues around running for me would be sort of like seeing lane lines, seeing cones or markers, seeing my coach cross the track, seeing people crossing the track, stuff like that. So 
I've been lucky to have coaches who have been very mindful or good at, at calling a lane for me. So making sure a lane is clear, shouting up the track of me saying like, lane's clear, off you go. Um, keeping an eye on, on, on how people are moving across the track so that if someone's coming across my lane, my coach can call it, call it out before I, before I do. Um, putting down maybe hurdles as, as markers because they're, they're bigger to see instead of like a small coloured cone. Um, we're using cones that are bigger and, and contrasting colours, stuff like that. Um, and I tend to like walk out a lot of my sessions before I run them. My coach won't say like from here to the cone, I'll walk it out. So I kind of have an idea of what will be in my peripheral vision when I get to that point. Um, so yeah, I suppose they're all like little changes and ultimately like they don't really make any difference to the way I train and and to the way my training partners would train. It's not um huge, but it's just having people who are mindful of those little things. Like I, I remember when I was younger and I was still doing a few other sports, I was swimming at the time. And I remember a coach started to get us, everyone in the group to count our strokes. And I just thought this was a part of swimming like ultimately it is but we were just like learning to swim we weren't actually competitively swimming or good at it in any way shape or form but um I remember her saying it to my mom at the end of the season like that she had been doing research around like visually impaired swimmers and that that was an idea she had had in terms of helping me figure out where I was in the pool and so like you know I, it was so lovely to, to learn of those things after and I'm sure there were plenty of coaches who who did stuff like that for me um, which, you know, I, I feel like I'll, I'll never fully appreciate because I maybe didn't understand when I was younger. But looking back now, I can definitely see. Um, and I mean, but also for every coach that's brilliant, there's a, another one who just says like, but she's not she's not going to be able to do that. So like, why is she here? You know, so so it is, you know, you have to take it with a pinch of salt. But I would say ultimately my experience was was overall pretty positive. Sorry, that was such a long no no that was brilliant <laughs> no and I what I love is that swim coach got the whole group to do it and it wasn't just you and that's like and for every like for five coaches that are gonna discourage you that one that one gesture there Absolutely. would make up for that like that's that's powerful um what I wanted to ask you as a nation what are what are Irish people like in terms of accepting and supporting people with a disability to be honest, I do think um, things are definitely changing. I think that there is a shift and I think there's you no know, representation around like seeing just disabled people on the TV or as part of media or, as, you know, and say, especially in sports as well, has definitely helped that to come along a lot. But there's definitely like huge work to be made. Like people speak a lot now about modern day Ireland and, and sort of issues around like homophobia or racism which are very very real issues in Ireland but it, it's not often that people bring up ableism as, as a part of the kind of aspects where Ireland definitely needs to be doing more and a bit of work and um, I think like I I have the I mean advantage I would say a privilege of, of walking around the world and not being perceived as, as a person with a disability quite often um which does the, mean that my experience with the world is quite different to somebody say who's in a wheelchair were quite more obviously disabled um but th then it means I often get the kind of flip side of that when people learn that I'm visually impaired people like questioning it or trying to make you know you know make it make out as if maybe I'm pretending or you know stuff like this so like you know I do I do definitely get um a bit of it and again lots of people make it out to be like a joke and for it to be you know something that's funny like they're trying to make a laugh out of it I'm more than happy to to make light and joke with friends and people who know me because like you do that about everything not just about my eyesight about you know every every aspect of your life you do that with your friends and that's I'm very fine and comfortable with that and 
I just find it like super uncomfortable when when people try and make those jokes and make light when they don't know me. You're like, well, okay, well now you're being rude. <laughs> um, so yeah, I do think I think there are definitely there's there's different camps. I think there's a lot of people in Ireland who who um understand disability and understand that yeah okay just say even within Paralympic sport like not every disabled person is a Paralympic athlete like those are it's like not every person who like goes to the park run is going to the Olympics like do you know what I mean um so I think it's been really nice to definitely see like other disabled people as a part of media who aren't in sport like it's great to see someone like Alan Keane like she definitely would have a, a quite a wide reach and it's great for people to see someone like her on billboards and on the telly but it's also really nice then to see someone like Paddy Jackson like on the TV talking about whatever gossips on that week or you know some new Netflix show or something like that like he's he's not always talking about being a person with a disability and that's that's I think a really important part of the representation which is is nice to see it heading in the right direction but yeah of course there's there's always more to do for sure yeah that's a great analogy though about if you're going to not everyone who does the park run is going to the olympics because that is that a perception that it's it's what am i trying to say is, is there kind of a perception about disabled athletes in sports is that kind of what you were yeah i Look, I, I think it's it's also depends who you're talking to. I think there's definitely a lot of people who understand it's a high performance sport and understand that when you make it to the Paralympics, you didn't just turn up like that. You've worked incredibly hard. It's been a four year thing. You know, it, it's it's a job. It's like every aspect of your life that that feeds into it. But there are sometimes people who maybe aren't as tuned into sports who kind of make an assumption that like, oh, sure, you're into that running thing and you're blind. So so you're off to the Paralympics. Good on you, girl. And you're like, <laughs> no that's not how it works um and look I think I, I think the, the coverage around Paralympic sport is is what's going to help that perception to change more broadly outside of a sporting context um but yeah that is it's like definitely a difficult one to combat but I think yeah the more the more opportunities uh Paralympic athletes have to, to you know um to be visible the, the more people will start to understand that you know I'll never forget watching uh, the Netflix documentary Rising Phoenix. Yeah. About the, I think it's three or four athletes that go to Rio. And that completely, like I, I didn't watch it till after Tokyo, but that, I think it was, but I'll, I'll never forget watching that. And that has just reframed like everything that I think about, you know, Paralympic athletes. And I know, I only noticed yesterday that the, the tickets are going on sale for Paris. And I do yeah, want to go uh, to the Paralympics. So, um, I would definitely recommend it. I think, especially like even myself, like I probably only clicked into Paralympic sports around the 2012 mark. Like the games was so huge and so successful. And, you know, I think it was my auntie who got onto me and, and told me about Jason Smith. And so I started tuning in to watch him and like obviously was so impressed and inspired by 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 him and, and his achievements. But I also then started to kind of watch a little bit more of Paralympic sport. And then the more involved I got, the more I've seen. And like as someone who enjoys sport, like it's just it's such interesting watching because there, of course, in athletics, you have like a lot of the same events. So you have your 100 meters, 200, 800, you know, um, your long jump and everything like that. But but there are sports that feel completely unique to the Paralympics, like your wheelchair basketball and stuff like that. It's basketball, but it's it's so different. The tactics. Yeah, exactly. It's not right. It's so it's so interesting to watch these sports and they're, they're so athletic and they're so emotional and aggressive. Like it's just it's so brilliant. Like I've really, really enjoyed getting into watching it. Um, 
And so I definitely think like with it being so close to home this year, it's a great opportunity for people to really get to engage with the uh, Paralympic sport and like to really understand the, the physicality and the, the high performance nature of it for sure. And I, I, I'm not, the way I look at the Olympics it's and the way I look at athletes, everyone has their own story. And I think that represents it when you look at, let's say you just have a, a race let's say it's t12 or, or different disabilities and you can just see the different journeys that everyone's been on and that really struck out to me as well with that documentary i think it was i think it was that where one of the u.s athletes had been um injured as and he was a veteran and he ended up um going over to hug one uh, one of the guys from i can't remember exact country where he was injured but i'm not, I'm not gonna guess but and he e- ended up kind of going over to them and kind of helped him make peace with his whole journey and like that for me is just massive what is it like being in the paralympics and meeting all these athletes and their stories i know tokyo was a bit different because of covid and stuff but uh what's it like interacting with people from other countries with different disabilities at the games Yeah, it's definitely a really interesting like aspect of the Paralympic Games. And of course, like you you even touched on it there a little bit. Um, countries who have large military forces often have large Paralympic teams. Like they'll have a lot of amputees or wheelchair athletes. Um, so so people who would have been very like young, maybe when they acquired their disabilities, um, people who would have been athletic and, and fit. And so um a lot of them have found their way into Paralympic sport and, and spent years kind of then developing, you know, their craft or whatever it is. But um, yeah, it's really it's really interesting and amazing to, to meet a whole host of different people who've, who've come from so many different. It's the same with the Olympics as well, I'm sure, of course, as well. You meet people with, with such different backgrounds and stories and how they ended up there. But also it's just like a real I think there, there is there's a risk of of. Um, of, of people in the Paralympics becoming like a bit of inspiration porn like the sort of like oh your journey you're amazing and you're like no no like people are amazing because of like what they're doing like their story is of course important you know and, and it's great entertainment in terms of like the media and, and like the buy-in from from people outside of the sport to understand like where where they've been and, and how they've gotten to where they are now but like ultimately it's it's that performance end of things which is just so impressive like people are are so phenomenal and that triumph over adversity is is such a key part but it's not you know it shouldn't be like oh wow that person has no legs and they're running like why aren't you getting up to run like they have no legs you're like no you're you're kind of missing the point here (laughs) like this person is deadly they happen to have no legs which is like insane and they're still like unreal you know so um I think there yeah there is that sort of like um that risk sometimes and you you can always pick it out like when people are talking about it like obviously you you can tell that when you're speaking about it you're you're coming from a, a perspective of like enjoying the sport being like invested in the story of the athlete but there's oftentimes you can hear people speaking about it and it's just completely patronizing and sort of I think you know oftentimes you can it's it's some, sometimes just around like media stuff um but yeah it is it's a really it's a really cool and, and sort of unique aspect of the Paralympics. And I think it's also probably opened my eyes quite a bit to sort of like the world of accessibility as well. Because when you think about the Olympic Village or the Paralympic Village, it's set up purpose built for whatever number of weeks for all the athletes to be in and out. And then it transitions into kind of livable space in most countries or uh, they become schools or stadiums, facilities, everything. But everything is made accessible obviously because you're going to be hosting the Paralympics as well so it's so it's so interesting to see how spaces 
how easy it is for spaces to be made accessible and for them to, to function for everybody, right? And they don't look any different than any other space. Like the spaces feel very normal and very accessible and everybody has everybody has equal access. And then you kind of come home and, and you, you're experiencing inaccess- inaccessible spaces for people. And you're like, it, it's so frustrating. You're like, I can't believe like people aren't more aware of this, but you have the luxury of experiencing that. And then you take on that perspective as, as you go out into the world after, which has definitely been something for me that I've really, I think, taken on board. Mm, that's interesting. I was only listening to the PD Performance Podcast uh, with Michael McKillop and um, Michael was saying how back, it kind of goes back to what you were saying there about people's perceptions. He was saying how himself and Jason were kind of seen as disabled people, not athletes or not world-class performing athletes in 2005, 2006. And that has shifted with the likes of yourselves and there's all these amazing other athletes that have come through in the Irish space. Have you noticed that shift since you've re- you've come in or has it only kind of been, you've been with the wave so you haven't seen it? Yeah, to be honest, I think I've kind of been with the wave. Um and I think it, it also helps that like I came up through like sort of my club and with Athletics Ireland. So like I, I never really took part in disability sport until I was much older. So I, I had always taken part in quote unquote able bodied sport and I and I still do. And of course, that's a, a privilege that I have um to be able to do. But um I think I think post 2012, that wave probably started to happen. I think the, the UK are particularly good. Uh, in that space and then the Paralympics and the media around it definitely boosted that and, and sort of helped shift people's perceptions much like that documentary did for a lot of people as well so I think I think myself and some of those other athletes who are younger like we've we've kind of been a part of that wave and it's, it's thanks to the work that that Jason and Michael would have done that that sort of helped to, to push that along in Ireland um I think I think it is ultimately always kind of evolving and, and continuing and like with each cycle you kind of hope perceptions continue to move in the right direction um so you can see a, a small bit of it but I, I do think we we've really been lucky to be a part of that wave as opposed to doing the work um to make it all happen uh but yeah I think I think he is right like I definitely think of myself as an athlete um I don't think of my well, not, not that I have any problem with being a disabled, disabled athlete like I am um but I wouldn't you know it doesn't they don't feel separate to me like they feel like the same thing it doesn't feel like it it, it makes a difference um but yeah, maybe just my upbringing in sports like played into that as well. Like I know different athletes have different experiences. Like if they come up through maybe like the IWA or if they come up with sort of disability sport, maybe they have a different perception. So I, from my perspective anyway, I've definitely always uh, been lucky enough to, to feel that way. But ultimately, like I can line up at national seniors or at an AI games or whatever, because I can get into the lane and I can run. And I have that advantage, but like oftentimes, like still like nationals won't let some of the athletes compete because they're say their weight, the weight for their shot put is different based on their classification. Like they're not allowed to compete at national seniors because the weight of their ball isn't regulation for nationals. So they're, they're, they're not allowed to compete. So they're, they are, are cut out of that. And then say, if you were in like, um, seated throws so there's like a, a whole rig that you sit in for the throws for discus or, or shot again you're not allowed to be a part of national seniors and to compete so there, there are still like issues there it's you know and, and I'm aware that I'm sort of on the end of things where it's it's easy for me to jump in and, and be a part of a lot of those competitions um 
but yeah it would be nice to see some of that change for sure okay that's interesting I actually didn't know that um so that's really interesting when you speak about your upbringing uh obviously your coaches have stood out your parents is that why you stuck with it and was that support the reason why you're still an athlete whereas other people and not just people that that have let's say you're visually impaired other people you see girls dropping out of sports for multiple reasons but some of it is down to lack of support at home or lack of support of coaching is that the reason why you stuck with it for your coaches and your family yeah I, like I think it has to be like you know you know I'm sure every athlete would love to say like I was so made motivated and competitive and that's why I stayed but like ultimately it is the environment that you find yourself in that that sort of either nurtures that or, or doesn't um, and so for me, like my family were always very sporty. My parents were very supportive um, and knew I was mad at athletics. So, you know, they carted me up and down the country's competitions and stuff like that. And, you know, like even without having that sort of support, then you don't you don't get involved in the environment. And I had coaches, like you said, who, who really played a, a very important role. And I think there's a coach in particular who stands out to me at, the, at an age where a lot of girls started to drop out, like maybe just in secondary school. And it was just kind of like a bit uncool to care that much about sports. And I used to always get the like, why are you taking it so seriously? Like, it's not that deep, like about training. And like, I just used to hate that because I loved it so much. And I just like, I, of course, I was happy to come up and chat and mess with everybody. But when it came down to it, like I I wasn't willing to skip the work. I wanted to do the work. And that's why I felt I was there. Um, and I had a coach who really like nurtured that in me. And, and um like I don't remember it but he always says that when I was young I came up to him and I said like I'm gonna run for Ireland one day and he was like oh yeah are you all right then you can show me like you know which like like I have no recollection of it but like he always says it to me and he laughs like um but he would have taken the time out of, out of his day and his life and his family to, to maybe come up and do a session individually with me on a day where I had you know or a stage I had competitions coming up or something like that and again like he really instilled a huge confidence in me about about myself and I think that's an age where it can be quite easy to kind of feel very unconfident about yourself or not quite sure and he really he built great confidence into me and you know encouraged me in my work and he kind of said like you know like these other girls are here and they're enjoying it but he was like you're doing more than just enjoying it like you're you know you want something more here and like don't forget about that he he used to always say like dream determination and dedication and those were the the kind of the big the three uh the words he used to he used to kind of reiterate to us all the time and his name was Damo so we said you always had to add Damo at the end of it um but but ultimately then it was quite important that when I got to a stage where I had sort of like moved on from where where he was coaching and the age group that he was coaching that he he was the person who really helped me make that transition up to sort of like a higher group and that the difference between like doing a load of sports and doing one like Athletics was always my main sport. I kind of did a few other on the side, but I, I never really enjoyed them as much. And I'm also a horrible team player. I'm just way too selfish. <laughs> and I can admit that. <laughs> but um, I kind of made that that change when I was 15 or 16, where I took athletics on as sort of my only sport. I left the others go behind and I moved up to, to train with Brian. And Damien did a lot of work to kind of make that a seamless sort of transition and to support me in that and it was nice to see because I think you know coaches can sometimes get a bit territorial of athletes and it's great to see athletes being you know put in the right places with the right supports and, and being supported by a club so like I'm and I'm so lucky to have had you know all of that in, in Rohini Shamrocks and then all the work I did with Brian like I I'm yeah I'm I'm a big club woman for sure. Brilliant no I love that and that's actually a pet hate of mine is when coaches think they own their athletes yeah. or players I'm like 
I, I get where they're coming from. Like when you invest so much time and so much effort. Of course. But like, no, like I, yeah, no, it's just not that. And I love that first because someone that like I play team sports and I'm laughing that you admitted that you're a horrible team player because really all individual athletes probably are. Yeah. <laughs> but with exceptions, obviously. But like as someone me who I'd be in team sport and I'd crumble as an individual athlete, but I would struggle with confidence even now. Mm. Like, I love the way that at such a vulnerable age that he was able to instill it in you with like, that's just, that's really special. And where do you think, was that something that he noticed that you might need an extra push in, in terms of building that confidence or how did that come about? Did you ever ask him about that? No, I never really have, but I suppose I watch him now with the younger groups because they'd often be up training at the same time as us. And I, I think it's just like, it's probably something he just does with athletes who he sees potential in or who he sees underconfidence in. You know what I mean? He's he's really good at, at picking out athletes who just need that that boost or that kind of, you know, word of advice. You know what I mean? I, I think he was just, he's a very, uh, he's a brilliant character and he kind of felt like a bit of a father figure, you know, um, and his his sort of um, guidance was re- was really great in that in that stage. I'm not sure that it was a, a sort of a specific. I don't think I was an underconfident kid. I think I was actually like a bit annoying and loud. I'm sure I probably became less confident as I got older and started to kind of maybe question myself a bit more. But um, I think he he just kind of understood that that I had a real passion for it and and I had potential so he he wanted to help foster that in me and and he understood that that age group needs a bit of confidence building to be able to take that up um yeah I I suppose that's probably my perception of it and then look ultimately I had coaches later on who helped to instill confidence in me in in sort of my abilities in my voice in my understanding of what I was doing all of that so I think I think it was probably more conscious later on from coaches but I'm yeah I'll have to ask them Okay, interesting. And I, I was actually interested there in the fact that people were kind of saying, oh, why are you taking that seriously? Because I found with kind of being involved in sport and now being involved in coaching, there's a massive respect for, I coach Gaelic football, so there's a massive respect amongst uh, teenage lads for talented ladies footballers that they see and they're like they're saying oh geez that's you know that's mm. your one there she's she's deadly like is that something that was that something more from classmates that weren't involved in sport or were involved in sport? What way did that work? Yeah, to be honest, I, I think I always got a bit, it gave me a bit of street cred in school to be fast. Like our school were mad for the coming of on school events. And like there was a teacher in our school who used to like whip us out of, you know, yard time to do practice across in the, in the, the GAA field and stuff. So like, I think it was a bit a bit cool to be fast at that stage. And, and people used to always be like, oh, deadly, you're so fast. And like, you know, or did you run at the Dublins and all that like mad stuff? You know, it's like so unimportant. But um. I think it, it definitely gave me a lot of credit at that age, but I think it was maybe that transitional age that was sort of like as you went to secondary school. So I'd left all of those people behind and left an environment where being athletic and being sporty was kind of cool. And I left that environment and kind of maybe moved to an environment where, I don't know, maybe people just were, were doing a load of sports and weren't that passionate about it and were happy to go and get involved, but, but maybe more so enjoyed the social element of it, which is, of course, still very important. But I think maybe it was just the group that happened to be there at that time. But I definitely would have felt a sense of, you know, there were one or two people who would have had a lot of time for the fact that I gave it a lot and, and sort of fed off that. And there was a few of us who would have been like that, but there would have been an overarching sense that like, this is just a bit of fun. And like, why are you taking it seriously? And I do understand like sport does have to be fun for kids. And there's, there's no point in pushing people into a sort of serious and like 
strict regiment young like that's completely useless but I, I think I, I managed to maintain a sense of fun and and take it seriously which I enjoyed but I, I did find it strange that some of my peers would have sort of been like god you're giving that a serious go and you're like yeah, but that's the point <laughs> um so yeah I don't really know I think there was probably a lot of teenage girls in it at that point um so maybe it was just a bit of that sort of caddy behavior that kind of comes in at that age um but yeah I, and, and I also think like maybe maybe it's a sense of, sense of the green monster a bit as well like I think you know when I think about myself in team sports settings and like I wouldn't have performed very well in them and like would I have kind of thought like would I have thought that about someone who was good at that sport like maybe like I, I don't have a memory of it but I'm sure like there is an element at that age sort of like maybe when it's not something that you're completely strong at and someone else is stronger at it you kind of say something to take them down a notch kind of a thing um yeah maybe that was just it to be honest okay interesting and was there ever a moment for you at underage or what was the point where you was there a moment or a race where you said geez like I'm pretty good at this like I could kind of progress into the senior ranks not only at underage because obviously you said that you were always fast but was there kind of a moment where you kind of said geez I could kind of go far with this yeah I don't know really like I definitely like I would have started out competing and being very much middle of the pack and then maybe I was 13 or 14 and I would have been winning races then and then I probably drifted back to the middle of the pack and then kind of came back up when I was I was starting to do well again and and win like national medals and then I sort of kind of slipped into an injury cycle that sort of went on for years and years but I think I think that sort of when I was coming up into like 18s under 17s under 18s under 19s that sort of age group I started that's when I'd moved coach I was doing athletics kind of uh, as my only sport that was kind of definitely a stage for me where I was like oh I can see progress when I'm when I'm putting in the work now and when I commit to this I'm seeing a difference um and like maybe if I if I really give this a go I can like move up to the next step I kind of you know, at that age, I would have been looking at the, the under 20s or under 23 Europeans. And I looked at those standards and those would have been something my coach and I had looked at and been like, those are those are like manageable. Like we can do that. We can go for that. Or like we can push to be on a relay team or whatever. So I think it was probably that age that I started to to think about those things. Um, But ultimately, like none of that really happened for me because I ended up getting injured. And sort of I missed on a few years where, where things might have happened, didn't quite happen. And then. 2016 rolled around and I I kind of linked in with Paralympic sport and then again like I would have had huge questions in my own mind like I was I was aiming towards the the standards for Rio and like looking to, to get qualification for that but I, I I maybe was a little bit underconfident in that I sort of was you know well I mean rightly so I, I sort of just made it um but I think maybe having had those ideas or goals in mind and not having achieved them sort of maybe seeded a few kind of doubts for me when it came to Rio um and so maybe then I think like that working out and, and making it there sort of really shifted my perspectives I was like you know there's, there's no point in in allowing those doubts to creep in like you you know what your potential and I know potential is like it's the worst word ever because like you know everyone has potential and talent those are separate things and hard work and everything but um yeah, I think my coach Brian was was very good at sort of he he'd set out at the start of the season and he he'd give you a few times and he'd say we're going to run them at the end of the season. And I'd be like those are mad. There's no way I'm going to run them. Like I know what I ran the first race of the season. There's no way. And there was one or two seasons where it just kept happening and I kept running those times. So I was like, "Oh my god, he's right. Like he's doing something right here. He knows what he's talking about." Um so I feel he he would have 
set out for me some of those goals and then through injury I didn't achieve them and I used to hold on to those quite quite closely and be like well I'm capable of running those times like I know that my coach knows that like that's definitely going to happen and then year after year when it doesn't happen and, and the injuries continue it can be easy to start to be like am I a bit mad for thinking I can do that but but being able to hold on to that quite tightly and be like no I am able I'm well able and like even like in the last sort of year especially for me coming out of that injury cycle and kind of reaching some of those goals and being like god that bar was so low like I can go way higher than that like okay like what's the next step like these are the next goals that I'm I'm sort of setting out with. so it's kind of been uh yeah I don't even know where that question started I've rambled a bit there but that's anyway. okay no no but it's actually something I want to ask you in terms of being injured and you've talked to someone here who's been injured for I was injured for 10 years and when you're when you've when you've got to kind of a a good level what I've what I've with my own injury like I was playing at a good level and then I got injured and never got back to the level I was at and the way I look at it now is oh god I never got back to it but I the way I sh- and what talking to athletes like this has really shifted my perspective of it should be it should be like a motivator to get back but yeah or how do you find it is it like oh I was at these heights I'm never gonna reach them again or is oh I'm at these hi- I was at those heights already I can get back there I've done it before how do you look at it yeah look it is incredibly hard like I'm looking at like this year if I do an indoor season it'll be a nine years since I've done an indoor season so like the injury cycle has been long <laughs> and it's super hard when you're like in your 20s and being like why did I run faster at age 17? Like, this is so pathetic. Like, what? And you, you kind of like, some of you is like, what, what is going wrong here? Like, I know if I could do it when I was 17, like, surely I can do that more now. And so I, I think that comparison, like, just kills. The kind of constantly looking back at what you were able to do. It, it, like that for me, I actually just had to stop doing it. I was kind of like, there's no point in looking at that and being like, I had the potential to do A, B and C back then. And I ran this when I was only training like that. And, you know, like all those kind of things, I think I just kind of had to cut them out of my thinking. And I just had to like focus on sort of um, more shorter term goals. Like I obviously had big t- long term goals and I, and I still have them. But I think I got much better at breaking that down and, and kind of focusing on the short term or sort of like process goals, kind of like looking at like, OK, like the next six weeks, like what do I want to achieve in the next six weeks or like what do I want to achieve in the next 12 weeks? Stuff like that um, kind of helped me to to just continue the work without like thinking about like oh will I ever get back there like ultimately like every so often you do kind of have those like spirals and you kind of have to like let yourself have them and then be like okay there's no point in going there that's not helpful like okay what's helpful for this week like okay I want to lift a heavier weight in the gym or like I want to do an extra rep of the track or whatever it is like you know um that for me has kind of been helpful yeah and is that something that you do by yourself or with your coach or with a sports psychologist how do you set those goals yeah, I mean, at different points, it's it's been different. Like, I would have done that with, like, my physio and S&C coach, uh, Downey Fox. I know you've had him on the the podcast before. Like, he was he was great at that stuff with me. Like, sort of, like, I think, to be honest, like, he probably taught me how to do that without being overt about it. Sort of, like, just coming into him and doing my sessions, he would have been very clear about, like, what we were doing, why we were doing it, understanding the why and, and sort of buying into it then and, and working towards something so that we could then work towards the next thing um so I think that was really really helpful at, at like teaching me it without kind of it being a conscious thing um 
and then subsequently through the years it kind of shifted from you know different people setting those goals like of course when you're more injured it's, it's a physio who, who sets those goals and then when you're doing a bit better maybe it's a coach that sets those goals and you know um like I would have worked with Jesse a bit Jesse Barr another person you've had on this podcast um <laughs> in 2021 so I was coming into uh Tokyo so that year I would have worked with her a bit um again like my injuries had just been like ongoing and I'd get to a point where things were going quite well and then would start to break down and you know so I feel like I lacked a bit of confidence there I'd be like it wasn't that I lacked confidence to be honest actually it was I was realistic I knew my strengths and I knew my weaknesses and I knew my weaknesses were growing as those injuries were were causing me more issues so I knew that I had a strong start that my acceleration was good but once I reached max speed I knew that my race started to break down that I didn't have the endurance that I I couldn't maintain the positions correctly because of pain like I knew all of these things and she was good at, at getting me to sort of be like okay but like you can't control that so instead of focusing on the things you know you're not good at like take a minute to, to acknowledge the things you are good at take a minute to walk through the things that you can execute well like those are the things you kind of need to talk yourself through you know before you get go into a race um and that was definitely something like I've I'm not someone who gets nervous before a race I'm, I'm someone who feels really quite comfortable in in a competition setting and I I feel like I'm able to, to hype myself up to the right the right sort of level of of anticipation uh without being too nervous or freaked out and I've always kind of felt very comfortable in that space but that year I probably just needed someone to say like just think about the things you're good at because you're really good at them. And so that probably was, was a, a great, you know, space for me to take that on board. But again, then that's not, that's not something that I, I, I actively sit down and think about, but when I catch myself thinking about how I'm talking to myself before I race, I'm, I'm probably still doing that. I'm kind of like, Oh yeah, I am good at my starts or like, you know, I'm coming out and I'm like, I know I'm going to put pressure under these girls when I come out of the blocks. I need to not let them put pressure on me when they come back on me. I need to just stay relaxed because like that's, ultimately being relaxed at the end of the race is, is my best way of, of trying to maintain like I'm I know I'm not going to be as strong as them but if I try and push against them I'm going to tense up so stuff like that is probably you know you do it once or twice with someone and it kind of stays with you for you know the future so I think like all of those people have, have played a role so like Donny and Jesse and, and Brian and, and Mick my coach currently and Kira my physio at another stage so like all of them have probably played a role in in helping me understand that sort of process mindset okay that's interesting and when you're going into a race like I'm always fascinated by something that lasts for like, 12 13 seconds like what do you think about before and during do you have time to think or like do you remember when you're in the heat of the moment of a race can you be like oh yeah in that race I was thinking about this or is very much like just black no run? definitely don't think of anything when you're doing it if someone says they do I honestly maybe they're more intelligent than I am but like definitely not like there there's there's space for memory at the end of the race like you can finish in race and be like I know I felt strong out of the blocks or like I know I stumbled or I know I got tight you can I feel like there's there's space for sort of recollection when you finish a race but when you're going through a race I don't really I don't have really many thoughts like if if a thought crosses my mind it's just like relax or like push like it's not it's more so like a cue that I feel like I'm hearing from outside of myself a little bit as opposed to um an actual conscious thought um but yeah I think before a race especially when like obviously it, it's very different when you, when you go to an international stage and you're going through call rooms and it's maybe 30 40 minutes with your competitors 
in like very tightly packed rooms and it's silent and you're moving from one to the other like I think it's it's an easy space to get overwhelmed if you let it but I yeah I'm definitely I'm very lucky to say like I'm definitely someone who's always kind of kept my cool in those spaces and feel very relaxed I kind of I know my process I understand what I need to do I know when I need to stand up and move around when I need to sit down and relax and I don't let what the other people are doing in that space intimidate me or, or sort of like let me make me like question what I'm doing or what I'm confident in and um I think that just comes with like time and experience honestly like I'm sure I definitely didn't feel that way in Rio but come Tokyo I, I know I felt very relaxed and especially especially this year actually at world championships probably the first championships I've gone into like in a good place injury wise like I, I did have injuries this year but in in my mind quite minor compared to other years um so I think that that confidence of knowing where you can perform at also helps to, to build that sort of feeling. Okay. Maybe. No, it's interesting. No, it is. And when you, when you talk about sport and I love asking this question, is it like as a percentage, is it more mental or physical when you're at that level? Honestly, I know a lot of people say it's like 50, 50. And I like, I think I have to agree with that, but I think because I'm someone who's been injured so much like I tend to be like it's physical it's physical because sometimes you're like I have the best mindset of all time but everything's broken it's not working <laughs> like, um you know I definitely tend to, to veer a little bit towards that in a sense but I also know like ultimately like it is 50 50 like it has to be you know if you're in physically the best shape of your life but but mentally you're not there or you're, you're not prepared or you're worried or you're nervous or you're under whatever like you're not going to be able to to have that that physical side pay off and and it's the same like maybe you're not in the best place physically like I've I've gone on into competitions um carrying injuries and having the, the mental sort of side where I could be like realistic but very positive about where I was allowed me to to be there to line up to finish a race to, to give everything I had on the day um so yeah I think like it has to be, it has to be both for sure is I remember talking to Nadia Power and a few people about this, but in terms of we were talking about the Olympics and everyone talks about the post Olympic blues. Is that something that you've experienced after big championships? Is it like, is there that feeling or how do you manage it? Yeah, I think like for me, I, like I finished Rio and went straight into college. I went into NCAD. So like that was like something like so big and different and new. And like I was already late. So I was like catching up on work. So for me, there, there didn't feel like a, even time to think about it like I was straight back into work I was straight back into training like I just didn't I don't think I really had time to be upset <laughs> but I, I think that's that, that's the big thing around the transition phase is that like they hope people come home and they have a holiday booked or a new course lined up or you know something that that kind of keeps you from sitting at home and being like what the hell I've trained for years for this um whereas like I thought after Tokyo I maybe had it a bit more more so I think like Tokyo as, a, as an overall experience for me was really quite um difficult like I didn't I performed terribly I had been carrying injuries that year just about made the team had been feeling really confident going into it tore my quad on like the camp before we got there my coach Ryan passed away while I was there as well so like there was just a lot of emotion wrapped up in Tokyo and so I think I came home and I was really like, that was so shit. <laughs> and I was like, at the time I knew I, I, I tried to put myself in a position where I'd be able to look back at Tokyo and be 
like maybe proud of myself or, or appreciate that I, I took the time to take the moments. So um, when I was in Tokyo and actually Jesse was on to me when I was in Tokyo and was sort of like, you know, like just take the little things each day, like the, the things in the village that are kind of like so novel or different, like take a moment, like take those in and let them inform your day. Like sort of, you know, let the fact that there's like the little, you know, cars that are like no one's driving them, the automated cars. Like, yeah, take yeah, yeah what the hell that's insane or like you know take a minute you know so I feel like I probably I'm glad that I did that and like even ultimately that I I lined up um even though I wasn't sure I'd finish the race with the way my quad was I I I think I crossed the finish line there was a whole like eruption of emotion and I I came home and I I felt quite flat after it but I I did feel pretty uplifted as well at the same time like I feel like I was kind of like you know what I think I took everything I could from that experience I think it's going to inform the next well three years um I think it's going to you know I think I think it did so so in a sense yes I did get a bit of it but ultimately it was just that my experience there was really pretty negative and then I like had a holiday so it was nice once I, I got on that and enjoyed myself and then kind of got back into training um that definitely helped but yeah I think I think it's um yeah it, I mean it definitely exists it's definitely a thing that you, you have to be conscious about and mindful of that you have to kind of have something there for yourself and or people there or something set up to, to be able to mitigate that because it is like if you train so hard for it and especially when it doesn't go your way it can be a very tough pill to swallow when you come home um but yeah I think for the biggest lesson Tokyo gave me was that I was just like I'm I will never ever competed in championships like that again that's just what I told myself I was like I, I'm not like I'm, I'm not gonna let myself go in, an, in a state of injury I'm not gonna let myself you know what I mean um be put under pressure to, to kind of compete when it, it doesn't work if, if I'm not physically in the best position for it stuff like that so I think um it's probably helped me make a few decisions which is really good so like I decided not to compete last year just like those injuries that I had had the year before just were, were carrying on and cropping up again. So we, I sat down with my team and we made the decision that ultimately if we were making our goal for Paris, we needed to just do what the body wanted. And sometimes putting the body on a time frame and saying like, you have to be ready for this in six weeks. Like it just doesn't work. You know that yourself. Like, um, so we really took the time um to try and fix some of those longer term issues and I think it's hopefully paying off um but yeah I think that was probably the big the big carry out of Tokyo for me okay yeah and you've obviously um you were away traveling recently and head and I was listening to you doing another episode and I thought it was really interesting you were saying how you struggled to switch off for about 10 days you'll be okay and then you'd be like itching to do something is that down more to the habits that you've developed over the years with your training with your running or is it more your personality what what is it a bit of both to be honest I think I actually think I'm much better at it now than I used to be I think like the last two years in particular I've been really content not training for a couple of weeks I've been I've, I've been still relatively active when I go away like I don't really like to go and sit at the beach and do nothing I like to be going off for a hike, wandering about the city, going off swimming. You know, I like to be doing things and that probably helps scratch that itch of, of being active. Um, but I think I think it came from injury, to be honest. I think that feeling that you were never doing enough or that you wanted to do more, that you, you, were, you were two steps behind everybody else, so you wanted to try and get on the front foot. I think 
I think that's what played into that, like that I really struggled to take that time off because for me, like time off for years just screamed like you're injured and you can't do anything. And I, I think that's probably why I, I struggled with that a lot and would have. So like a bit, a bit of my personality, but also a bit of circumstance, I think, um, around those few years. But I do think like the last two years have definitely really enjoyed the switch off and I've, I've sort of taken them more so as, as mental breaks so it's sort of like okay you have like two and a half weeks or three weeks now where like do not answer your emails do not answer your phone calls don't fill out forms for anybody don't think about what you're doing for training for the next four weeks don't think about what you're doing next year don't think about it and that for me is actually ultimately like the the most important part of that break it's not actually the physical break um although that's obviously very important as well but yeah mentally just switching off and not thinking about it or talking about it is and has been a real it's taken me years to get there but I I now I really appreciate it yeah no definitely and it's something that that I find really interesting as well with your story you mentioned NCAD you're a visual artist how does that and I've heard you speak about it before and how it's kind of Maybe you've struggled with the identity of having being an athlete and being an artist at the same time. How was that? Has that enabled you again to switch off and have something that if a race doesn't go well, I'm still, it sounds really bad, but I, I get it from my perspective of yeah. if something goes wrong, I'm still really good at this other thing so I can go do this other thing. How do you balance that or how do you find it? Yeah, for sure. I think um, especially last year was a big kind of learning curve for me in that regard. Like I I went to NCAD and I was studying fine art media and education. So it's a joint honours degree. So ultimately you come out of it, you have your fine art degree, but you can also be a teacher. So I went in to NCAD thinking like, oh, okay, like, I, I can become a teacher and a teaching degree is a really good thing to have with athletics and then like ultimately when athletics ends it's a job and I'll be able to make money and like okay that's what I'll do um and in the middle I, I had always planned on kind of taking a year out because my final year would have been the year of Tokyo obviously all of that changed with COVID and everything but um my injuries had gotten not great I ended up having surgery in 2019 went back to college, had missed a lot of college, was really struggling to, to make anything or, or, or to produce any sort of work that I liked or felt passionate about, was struggling to come back from that injury. And I was just so miserable. And I, I went to the college and I was like, can I just leave now <laughs> instead of at the end of next year? I was just like, I just, I'm, re- I'm, I'm not doing well at either thing now. And I think that's probably something I struggle with. I think when I do things, I like to do them well. I like to give them everything. And I could I could see myself not really giving everything to either of them. So I stepped back from college at that point in 2019 and didn't go back then until 2022. Yeah, so I took a good chunk out of college. So yes, I was the ongoing joke in my friend group that I would like graduate at 30. I'd be the mature student. <laughs> would it ever happen? <laughs> But I actually think that time away really helped me to understand the the importance of the, the artwork in my world and, and, and the importance of the separation. So I went back into college and like loved every moment of it. Like I totally went in with rose tinted glasses. I was like, this place is amazing. Like I love it. I love everything I'm doing. Um, and I think I was only really able to go in with that freshness because things were, were much more regimented and, 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 going better in running so I then found that when there were upsets at training or things didn't go well it was really nice to have something that kind of took me away from it mentally because I'd spent so many years where like everything I thought about 
at every second of the day was running related, injury related, recovery related, like everything was so tied up and, and completely unhelpful honestly like you, you can't spend every moment thinking about those things it just makes them worse and um, so going back and then realizing that I had this outlet I, I ultimately decided at that point that I wasn't going to continue with the education degree so I continued just with fine art media because I never really enjoyed the education I didn't really want to be a teacher at that point anyway so I was like again I was just doing that to keep people happy even though no one asked I was just sort of like thought it was the good thing to do so I was really glad that I was able to kind of make that decision and be like okay well this is something that is really important to me something that I really enjoy and also something that I can do now it doesn't have to be a career for after sport like ultimately that's that's important and that's something you have to think about but I was like I can I can be both of those things now and I suppose um ultimately I ended up being a part of the visual arts awards last year um which definitely helped instill that kind of thought in me so like working with Aideen Barry who's who's one of like the most impressive Irish artists at the moment a phenomenal Cork woman as, as our curator and, and having her kind of be like this you can do this now this isn't like this is a career now you can you can build on your work now you can network you can be a part of the visual arts community in Ireland and, and really build a space for yourself here and, and hold space here as well as the other like one one can inform the other but they they can both exist um so it was really yeah I think it was it was it was definitely a big kind of transitional year for me last year to kind of be able to think about things that way yeah yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna get give you probably a difficult question then in terms of balancing that identity would you rather win athletics medal or an art competition like there's a, such an obvious quest answer to that question for me right now it's the medals like definitely um like I am an athlete first <laughs> uh for sure 100% but I do think I yeah, I would hate for the art people to hear that, but but it's true. It is. It ultimately it is true for me at the moment. Like this is absolutely my priority because there's a there's a time limit. Like I can I can do things in arts and I can make progress. Like people don't even start their careers till later in life in art often. And so like I think th there's so much scope and space for me later in my artist career. Like when I'm sort of more established, I, I think that that exists for me down the line. Um, and I think doing it now I might not get those awards or accolades like obviously you, you like to get them but like they might not happen for me now when I'm, I'm putting my time and efforts into running and I'm like very okay with that because I want those rewards to come in the athletics for now because ultimately like I'm gonna hit a certain age where there's just no that doesn't happen anymore um so yeah I think athletics is, is absolutely my priority but I've I think I've been quite good at, at sort of learning to to have something alongside that to, to help to help it when you do eventually retire and I do like asking this question but I, I really conscious I'm not retiring anyone when I do ask but when you when you do eventually finish athletics what will be what will you determine a successful career do you have an idea in mind of what you would like to achieve or what do you think yeah I definitely do and I think like much like many athletes have spoken about on this podcast and you know I think it was Brian Gregan you had on and he said a friend said like you know take every PB as your last PB I definitely don't do that like I'm I'm completely obsessed with with the like the goals that I have and, and wanting to do better and wanting to do more and the people around me and my sports staff recognize that so I think sometimes they're very good at being like 
like take a goddamn day off just like be excited for once like take the win take the compliment whatever it is you know like take a second like it's been eight years like just accept that you've run a pb and like it's not the pb you wanted but just like get come on like i'd be like okay yeah thanks so much <laughs> um so yeah i definitely especially looking towards paris like i i very set goals in my mind about about what success is going to look for me like there but i i am also aware that you can't really determine those things too far in advance. I could set those goals in stone in my mind and like anything could happen between now and then I could do better. I could do worse. There's no points really in, in putting too much. Um, I'm saying there's no point t- putting too much thought. Like I put so much thought into it. I think about it every day. There's no like that's actually a, that was such a lie on my part. Um, I, I appreciate it's not a good mindset to have. And I know I, sh- you know, should be less. um less sort of like set on those things but I'm also like that's what it kind of what it's what drives me it's what makes me show up at the track each day like I think I know what I'm capable of I believe in it I I think I know what it takes to do it and so like I'm willing to do it um but yeah I do think I have to be better at sort of like taking stock of of the small wins on on the way to the bigger ones um yeah but I'm I'm definitely I'm kind of hoping I'm yes I'm cautiously optimistic of of my goals yeah no it's funny when you say that you need to be more and I'll never forget a couple of guests like I remember Hannah Hegarty um really early on it stuck with me she was like I was like what would you do differently she was like I would have gone out more and enjoyed myself a bit more and a couple of other people have similar answers but it's like well, that's what got you to the level that you're at now is yeah because you didn't do those things or you didn't and the minds that you have you know that's rather than looking at it as a negative like obviously we'd all do things differently but yeah when you're when when I'm giving you the opportunity now to moan because I remember I asked someone this question and they were like oh it's a privilege I think it was an inter-county athlete there's oh, such a privilege to represent my 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 county but like what's the hardest part about being a world-class athlete like moan away what's the worst part about it um the worst part about it honestly is is not meeting the expectations you set for yourself so like I like this sounds so conceited and and completely ridiculous but I just I think maybe just because the stage that I'm at now like I've I've been at the Paralympic Games I've been at Europeans I've been in the World Championships I am not interested in being a part of the team I'm not interested in showing up and being there it just doesn't do anything for me anymore (laughs) it definitely did at the start of my career and but it doesn't it just upsets or frustrates me to be there and not be competitive when I know I can be. So I think through injury, I had a couple of years of that and it just like, it drains the life out of you to be there and for people to be like, oh, it's amazing. Congratulations. Like you must be over the moon. And you're like, well, I feel like a terrible person because like, I don't feel over the moon to be here. I feel pretty shit about it. I like, I haven't done well. I'm really angry. I'm upset at myself. And you know, I think obviously you have to take stock and give give yourself a bit of grace and take a moment, you know. But um, yeah, I think for me that that sort of um, uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah, I just think like uh, like that's probably what makes any athlete good at being an athlete is that you you want more, you strive for more, you want to be more competitive, you want to be putting your best foot forward. So for me, like now, I'm I'm sort of looking at at a position where I'm like, I don't I don't want to go to a championships if I'm not pushing for a medal. I just I don't I'm not interested in it. Um and that's that sort of keeps me hungry. I don't know that that's an effective or a good mindset to have, but um at the moment it's really something that like fills me with a lot of um 
kind of motivation. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely struggled with with that sort of in between. Like, I think, of course, the first time I go to any of those things representing your country, like it's a massive honor. Like, it's just like a dream come true. It is amazing. It is incredible. It is an honor. It's so exciting. But at a point, it, it starts to that that diminishes a bit when you don't feel like you're putting your best foot forward. Um, so I think for me, I, I, I hope and I feel like I'm potentially on the cusp of of getting that feeling back where I'm like in the Irish Fest and I feel incredibly proud to be there and proud of myself and feel like I've done my best, you know. No, absolutely. And we focused, I'm conscious that we focus a lot on kind of the negative side and the injuries, but like, what do you love about it? What do you enjoy? What keeps you going back to it? Honestly, like I just like the feeling of being at the track. And I think that's like in those injuries, I probably wasn't running a lot. I wasn't on the track all of the time. And, and that's where it, it actually got easy to be like, why am I doing this? Why am I here? I don't even enjoy it. But but when I'm on the track, when I'm up doing those sessions, I just get such a buzz out of them. Like I really just... I love being on the track. I like say my gym sessions. I don't love the gym as much as I do the track, but I love doing stuff in the gym that I know has an effect on the track. Like I just, it fills me with, with so much joy, which sounds, uh, makes me sound like such a sap, but like, I just, yeah, I just completely love it. Like I love the routine. I love, I love the pushing myself. I love the, 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 the those, that goal setting that's sort of like chasing a new PB and then a hand clean or, you know, chasing a new exercise or something like that. I, I really like that gives me like such uh such a rush. Like I definitely love um setting setting those kind of goals for myself and, and achieving them. Um and I feel like maybe just because I didn't have that for a while, it it sort of it took the the love out of it. Discipline is kind of what kept me there as opposed to sort of any sort of um motivation. I think motivation it comes and goes but discipline is what, what keeps you there. And so I, I'm definitely very happy to say that motivation hasn't been higher in recent years, but I'm glad that the discipline kept me there through the tough years. Um, but yeah, and competition. Like I love to race. It's great fun. So being back doing that this season was a real, uh, yeah, I definitely, I hope I didn't take it for granted anyway. I, I tried to, you know, even when I wasn't so happy with the performance, I tried to kind of you know finish the day off by being like well I wasn't here last year like this is I'm here like I've just got to take this and and hope I'm here next year and, and I perform better you know brilliant if I could go back to the time maybe when you were 12 or 13 and there was maybe the kind of diagnosis and maybe there wasn't that element of doubt but to go back and I was to travel back in time and meet you and say order you're going to go on and achieve all these things would you have said oh that, of course I would of course I'd do that like I'm that good or would you have said god like that's really inspiring like what would what would your answer be because it's funny when I reflected on my own I would be like yeah sure that's part of the plan like being stupid but like what what would your answer be yeah I actually that is actually quite hard to answer because I think like instinctively I want to be like oh like I never would have expected this like that's so great but actually probably at the time I was like probably a bit of a cocky little shit and I kind of thought like I was deadly and I sort of I think again that stubborn element in me like when I got the diagnosis and things were changing, like I, I still very, I maybe like when I could see people doubting me or I could see people kind of almost trying to limit my, like kind of the expectations for me, uh, that annoyed me. And so I was kind of like, I'll show you like, you've yeah, you'd want to doubt me now you would like. So I, I think there was probably an element of that in me that sort of was like, if someone had told me, I'd have almost wanted to be like, yeah, of course I'll do that just to kind of, 
feel like I, I was sitting in that with some sort of confidence. But uh, honestly, when I when I think about it, if I if I was very honest with myself, I think I would have been like shocked. I think at that age, as much as I, I put on a bit of a front and tried to be all that, I think I was scared. Like I think I think ultimately, like I was starting to learn that my life was going to look very different than maybe I had thought it would for myself. I don't think I, th- I thought about it very deeply a lot at that age. Honestly, I don't think any 11 year old is, is deeply thinking about their future. Um, well, I wasn't anyway. Uh, but I think, yeah, like some of those small realizations were starting to come to me that like, OK, like you're never going to be able to drive a car. You're never going to be able to make some of these jobs that you kind of thought maybe you'd like to do. You're not going to be able to do those. Um, and that's not to put like limits on myself. I like there's so much I can do and and you know, I, I don't like to think about the things I can't do because I can do so much more. But um, yeah, I think I think maybe 12 year old me would have been pretty chuffed to hear. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm going to I'm going to fly through the sideline seven because I know you're conscious for time. This I've really enjoyed this. Orla. Um, I'm going to start with question one. Question one, Orla, what's your favorite quote? I get the sense you're a bit of a quotes woman or am I wrong? You're actually a bit wrong, honestly. I'm not a huge quote woman at all. Um, but I do have, have one quote that that coach Damien gave me. It's a long one, so I, I won't use it. But if you have the time, look it up yourself. Go for it. it. No, go, go for it. I don't have it word for oh, word. Oh, you don't, you don't have it word for word. Okay. Okay, it's a Muhammad Ali one about having champions having skill and will. But like the, the will always has to be kind of more considerate than the skill. But I think the, the short one I'll give for today is actually... Um, it's the no rain, no flowers. I saw it as a tattoo on a, a tennis player there recently. And I just kind of like, I kind of laughed at it. I loved it a bit. I was like, yeah, that's true. No rain, no flowers. Um, So I feel like that's sort of where I'm at a little bit at the moment. So I liked that one. Okay, that's brilliant. I really like that. Uh, question two, best sporting event you've been to? We pick one as a fan and one as an athlete. Oh, um, that's quite hard. Uh, okay, as an athlete... And this sounds counterintuitive, but we got to be in the stadium when Jason Smith won his his final Paralympic medal. And obviously the, the crowd was not there, didn't exist. But like there was a few from the Irish team there and it was probably the closest he's ever been pushed in, in a medal. It, there was like one hundredth in it or something, one thousand, something, you know, very small. So being there to experience that uh, was definitely very exciting. Yeah, really, really exciting to be to be, I, th- I think it just felt maybe ultra special because you were like, nobody got, I get to be here and not a lot of people get to be here. So I think it maybe I just took stock at that moment and was like, holy shit. Um, that was really cool. And then to be a part of, I would say probably this year, the world championships. Um, I missed out on a medal, but I, yeah, it was probably the first time I really felt that I I was in the mix and so it, it I left feeling very like optimistic about next year super excited about like what I can do and, and hopefully what's ahead of me so I, I think I just got a real a real kick out of that this season for sure. Brilliant uh, question three what's been the biggest setback or challenge so far in your career and how did you react to it? All of the injuries <laughs> the compensatory injury cycle uh yeah look like injury is just a part of of sport like do you know what I mean and it's you know sport is about luck as well like you know everybody works hard nobody is you know when you get to that level everybody puts in the work and and I'm sure everybody at some stage feels like things aren't fair so uh I think yeah I'm really 
I'm really proud that I made it through that that long cycle and, and I'm here with a lot of optimism about the future. I think it would have been very easy to get kind of lost and and it would have been easy to leave. So I think at, at, at a stage I was sort of like the time for quitting was years ago. You're here now, you're, you know what I mean? You have a goal and, and work work through it. So I'm, I'm very glad that I did. Uh, but yeah, that was definitely the hardest part. And I'm sure... I'm sure it'll uh, it'll be hard again in the future. You know what I mean? That's that's worse. But uh, yeah, I think it really helps to inform like who I am as an athlete now and who I am as a person as well, for sure. Brilliant. Uh, question four then on the flip side, what's your biggest achievement on or off the track? Um, I think on the track, probably like, I mean, this year probably is the most obvious one. A fourth in the world is, is pretty... Um, okay um <laughs> it's more than okay or <laughs> um, yeah so that like I, I obviously want I want more than that but uh for now that's that's the one that really um it pushes me it, it kind of it kind of puts a bit of a fire in the belly for me so I think um yeah probably that and then what was the other sorry one uh biggest achievement on or off the, the track oh yeah oh yeah and off the track uh yeah I would think probably winning the RDS members fund award last year for my work uh was like just something I never ever really saw coming um I think because I'd spent so long thinking art was maybe something for after and then I'd started thinking about it as something for now but I just didn't I didn't really regard myself that highly in it like I like the work that I make obviously uh but I just didn't really know that it would resonate with other people so um I was really shocked when I won that award like to, to get through each stage of it to be shortlisted or longlisted then to be shortlisted and then to be selected and then to be there and then win an award I just I each each step felt more and more surreal and like I was living in some sort of dream um so yeah I think that is is definitely something I'm very proud of um yeah brilliant looking looking back what advice would you give your 18 year old self oh um Looking back, I think I like I think as an 18 year old, I probably did ignore the naysayers. So I, I don't think I, I could turn around and say like, oh, ignore the people who don't think it's going to happen for you. But I think looking back at sort of the last number of years I've had, I, I probably I would probably tell my 18 year old self to be better at, at being an advocate for myself, better at standing up for, for myself and, and making my verse, my voice heard. I think that's something I've, I've probably struggled a little bit with through circumstance and injury and stuff like that, I think. I'm hopefully finding my way back to, to my voice a bit now. But yeah, I think I would sort of um, make the point that, you know, uh, you, you are sometimes the most important person in a room when, when the conversation is about you and your performance. So so make sure that you use your voice. Uh, yeah, I think I would tell myself that. Okay, brilliant. Uh, question six, who would be your dream dinner guest and why? This, this is such a hard one. I don't know how you people can, pick. You can have a dinner party, Orla, if you want. People just keep cheating on this question. I'm going to have to change it. Oh, party. Um, I think, like, I would love to have someone like Alison Felix. Um, she, you know, as an athlete, as a, you know, someone who's who's spoken about the, the female experience in athletics, someone who's been so vocal and, and such an important part uh, of of athletics like uh, yeah I would just love to kind of pick her brains a bit I, I think she seems like an amazing person and an interesting person and someone who has has so many stories to tell so I, I would love to meet her at the dinner table um 
outside a sporting context, I've always been a huge David Attenborough fan. Okay, random. <laughs> I, so random. But like, I well, I suppose because it is alive or dead, like we're we're in the clear here. But I was like, just like, I'd love to meet him before he died and like talk about his work. I just, I love him. So that's my sort of random pick would be David Attenborough for sure. Um, and like... Yeah, I don't know who else. I'm like, I'm sure I could like think of another 10 people later today. But oh, Muhammad Ali. I'd like to meet Muhammad Ali. Yeah, for sure. Deadly. Last question before I let you go. Uh, you've listened to the podcast, so no pressure. I'm expecting a really good answer. Um, if your life was a book, what chapter would this be called? I actually thought about this because I was like, where am I? Like, what is the chapter? Is the chapter sort of like the come up, the comeback? Like, where are we at? But I actually think I kind of thought about when you asked about the quote and I said the no rain no flowers I, I kind of feel like I'm now in a stage where I'm like hoping for flowers so maybe something like that is is my chapter right now like waiting for flowers or hoping for them or something yeah okay very good Orla I'll let you go thanks Benny, for your time again thank you so much for having me a big thank you to Orla for joining me on today's podcast I originally heard Orla's story in person over a year ago so I was delighted to finally have her on to discuss her journey to date I just want to wish her the best luck with all of her future projects off the track and a busy year of competition ahead of her in 2024. If you are enjoying the podcast, please do leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as it does help the show grow. As always, thank you for listening and I'll catch you in the next one.